Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's accelerated degree programs. Our six and eight week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in mathematics. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello, and welcome to One More Life, the gaming podcast from RadioTimes.com. I'm your host, Rob Lean, and each week I'll be joined by a new guest to learn about their life with gaming. This week's guest is Lindsay Pearson, the Vice President of Franchise Creative on The Sims 4 and its upcoming sequel, The Sims 5. Lindsay's life with gaming has taken her on the kind of journey that most fans can only dream of. She started out as an avid player of The Sims and now she's one of the main creative talents running the game. In this chat, Lindsay discusses all the unusual things that people do to their Sims and she teases what's to come in The Sims 5 with the addition of major new multiplayer experiences. And so let's load up that conversation. Hello. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure to have you. And obviously, we'll, we'll get on to your kind of amazing career with The Sims, but I always like to start right at the start with people. What's your kind of very earliest memory of games, playing games? Well, it's it's actually at my uh, at my grandma's house. My grandma was quite the gamer, which was sort of surprising. And um, when we would go over to her house, she always had uh, an old classic Nintendo, and she was always playing... Uh, Dr. Mario. <laughs> that was like her favorite game. <laughs> so random. Um, so that's one of my earliest memories is going over and playing old school classic Nintendo games at my grandma's house with my cousins. And we'd play trivia games and, and Mario games and puzzle games. It was it was great. That's how I came to really enjoy just games as a thing to bring people together. Nice. That is a very, very cool grandma you've got there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is there any kind of games from that kind of retro era for you, like the kind of early experiences, any of those you would like, you would love to see make a comeback or anything like that? Oh, man. You know, my cousins and I got really into this obscure Pictionary game called, I think it was called Anticipation. 
it was like this connect the dots Pictionary game that we had played so much that literally one dot would show up and we all knew what it was. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I would do it exactly that way now, but I would actually love any more of those sort, sort of social sh- charade Pictionary party games. I, I always enjoy party games with folks because it's just fun to see what people jump to conclusions on or make up as answers. But yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of many hours playing that sort of Pictionary game. When you're talking about party games, I remember, have you played knowledge is power and it's on playstation you have some scheme and i can only think of two games that i ever played that were on it but it was like you would download the app on your phone so your phone is like your little kind of answer pad and it was like kind of like a a bit like a kind of spiritual successor to buzz but it would be like you put your answers in on your phone then your little character would like progress up this mountain and stuff that's cool i've played versions of that like the jackbox games have a lot of that yeah yeah. um where you're doing trivia on your phone or you are drawing pictures a little bit those are pretty fun i got my family to play some of that while we were all during the pandemic we all signed on and did some zoom games that way it was it was great it's a great way to connect with people definitely definitely zooming out slightly kind of over the course of your life do you think there's one game that you've put the most hours into i mean obvious answer would be the sims <laughs> i was gonna say it's probably the sims and actually not just because i work on it i played so much of the sims before i even worked on it which is saying a lot because i joined pretty early on other than the sims i think it would probably be animal crossing throughout many generations because I, I play a lot of animal crossing or donkey kong like donkey kong country on super nintendo i think i played for like every weekend a year, like the whole weekend. I don't know. It was another one of those. I learned all the secrets, all the hidden things, so many hours. I pretty much only remember like four years of my life through Donkey Kong. (laughs) (laughs) The the Donkey Kong secrets will last a lifetime. That's the thing. Exactly. I'm like, my muscle memory still triggers once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And uh, is, is there a game you would say has kind of made like the most profound impact on you? You can kind of interpret that as like an a emotional impact or like a life impact or anything. You know, the one that comes back to me anytime I, I really think about a game that made me feel outside of just, oh, this is interesting and this is challenging is, oh, I'm going to get the title wrong. Eternal Darkness, the one where your character was, you were playing different characters through different times and there was this like horror bar. And if your character ever got too high on the bar, things would happen that would make your character, like the game would change, right? I'm sure I'm missing part of the title because I feel it was longer than that. I think it was, was it GameCube? I can't even remember which which console it was. But that was probably the first and one of the only games that made me like physically scared <laughs> because things would happen. Like it would pretend to delete your game. And I, I just remember being so actually like paranoid and anxious after playing through that game. So that one, that made such an impact on me because I've enjoyed so many other experiences, but that was like a different level of emotional feeling in it. I just keep trying to find out how to sort of replicate that for other people, how to get that depth of feeling. In in that case, it was anxiety, but (laughs) how do I give you other feelings as well? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like anytime like a game kind of goes I don't know, would you call it the fourth wall in gaming? It's stuff like that when it's like you, you're thinking, oh, no, it's going to delete my game. Or, or yeah. has that um, Metal Gear Solid one jumps to mind where he's like reading your what's on your memory card and stuff like that. It's like especially creepy because it's like you're not meant to know these things. You stay in the screen. Like. I think that's why. I think that's you're totally right. It's, it's crossing that boundary of some sort. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. Which is super interesting. I think that's a super cool emotional response. And our brains don't really know the difference. So it's sort of like, oh, no. <laughs> I have to worry about this now. They're in my world. Yeah. It's it's very cool that games can make you feel 
such a range of emotions. I, I honestly, I love that about it. Um, gaming as entertainment in general. It sounds like you have you've played like quite a broad range of stuff. But is there any kind of game or genre of game that you've really kind of struggled to to master or get into, or you're like not for me? You know, I've I've never been particularly good at sports games. It just generally some of the more comical ones, like if you're playing Wii bowling or something, is fine. Like actual sports simulation games, probably because in real life I don't necessarily know all the rules. <laughs> so I'm like I don't know how to be good at this game because I don't I don't know it well enough. So those have never been a genre I've been totally excited about. But, you know, I've tried everything and I actually love racing games. So there's certain categories there that I'm just like, yes, these are great. Although I prefer racing games like Burnout where you get to crash into everything. That That is more my speed. <laughs> nice. Love that. I love a racing game that just goes like slightly weird in that way. Like, yes. There was one, I used to have one called Mashed. It was kind of like Mario Kart, but instead of shells, you just had like machine guns like on the top of your car and you would just nice. like be <laughs> destroying everyone's cars. Yeah, burnout. So good. So good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is there kind of like one kind of go to game when people ask you, oh, what's your favorite game? Is there one that you kind of go to as like your stock answer for that? Well, if I don't say The Sims, because I do genuinely love The Sims, it is Animal Crossing. I love Animal Crossing, like all generations of Animal Crossing. I think the combination of it's just super cute, like stylistically, I really like that I live with all these little animals. And it's just such a like nice, cozy, meditative game that that is like my easiest go to. And I could play Animal Crossing any day <laughs> and, and enjoy it because there's always some fish to catch. There's always some collection to finish. So that would be the one. I love Animal Crossing. <laughs> nice, nice. Was that a big like pandemic play for you? I know it was for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. In fact, I got my sister to play with me. She was totally hooked on it, which she doesn't normally play a lot of things. And she got super into it. And so we were pandemic bubbling together and so we'd play animal crossing or we'd play remotely and my kids played it with some of their friends so it was a really great excuse for everyone to get together yeah it was just it was nice it was just a nice break from reality yeah at like the perfect time to have a break from reality exactly in terms of the sims did you say that you were kind of a player and a fan of it before you came to work which version what kind of era of sims are we talking about there Yeah, so I definitely started with Sims 1. It came out in 2000, and I played, I vividly remember playing the first, I think it was the base game, and then Live in Large, the first expansion pack for The Sims 1. I played at a friend's house, and when I say played, I mean I started, and my Sim immediately caught fire and died, because that's what (laughs) happened in that game. And I was like, what is this crazy game? And so I got back into it with um, the Hot Date pack, and I actually even started making my own custom skins and things, because there was really easy modding to do on those early Sims games. It was just so different than anything else out there. I love the little people, the building, the spaces. I've always been a builder, so I like building houses and decorating things. And it just sort of stuck with me. Then I started working with The Sims at uh, the tail end of Sims 1. I joined as we were finishing up The Sims Unleashed and The Sims Superstar. And uh, I just never left. <laughs> I love The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> was that your, your first kind of gaming job? Were you in gaming already at that point? No, it was my first, it was my first gaming job. I was actually, I was at school and I was working on my degree. I was going to do movies and animation, but I realized that games were all the immersive things that I loved about movies, except you played them, you lived in these worlds. And I just thought that was crazy cool. And it's funny because I had played games forever growing up. I love games, but it like never clicked in my brain that that was a path to go down. So I met a bunch of friends who were uh, game development majors, went to GDC, and I really started to think of it as a whole new world. So when I joined uh, EA, my friend who was already there in, in QA and testing at the time warned me. He's like, don't tell them that you like The Sims. They'll make you install it over and over all day, every day. 
it used to matter the order you installed your expansion packs. So that was like a real threat. Um, but I was like, but I love The Sims. Of course I want to play The Sims all day. So naturally I ended up on The Sims testing team and I did genuinely enjoy it. <laughs> I was like, I really love being part of that team. And like I said, I, I just didn't, I didn't leave. I was like, I love making The Sims and it, it's still to this day, such a unique gaming experience that I just can't, I can't imagine getting to do what I get to do on many other types of games. I always kind of found like QA a bit like mysterious from the outside like the only, have you seen the show mythic quest on oh, apple yeah. tv <laughs> mythic quest is great that's like my only like vague idea of what qa is like is like it's ashley birch and um i can't remember the other person's name and they're sat in a booth booth all day playing games and <laughs> chatting to each other is that what it's like you know there are definitely times it feels like that because you are definitely just sitting there trying to play through a really long system or a really long progression or you're trying to break something really specific right i mean in lots of games and some of the early ones that we played because we got to play other ea games as they were in development you you are literally running around trying to break through corners of the map and stuff like that, right? So there's some of it that's a little rote. But the fun part is when you do find something that doesn't work is sort of this like diagnosis, like, oh, what went wrong? Is it is it this random piece of logic interacted with this one in a weird way? Or is it because I had this strange stat on my character? Like, so it's kind of an interesting... I liked it because it was almost solving a lot of little mysteries of why, why would this happen? And of course, just totally weird things happen that are just funny. Like you'll end up with sound effects playing in the wrong place or well, what regularly happens in The Sims, and you still see this today, is occasionally the wrong character uh, skeleton plays an animation for the other thing. So you'll get a cat trying to do a human action and it just <laughs> looks ridiculous. So yeah, it's just kind of a combination of, of comedy and, and detective work. And it is a lot of sitting in a room and then going <laughs> to sit in a different room and talk about what we're wrong. <laughs> so, but that's not wrong. <laughs> When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. How did you go from that to kind of imagine there were some steps in the middle to where you are now, you know, <laughs> VP of franchise creative, this big kind of like kind of top of the line job? I'm at, what was like the journey like to get from one to the other? Yeah, I mean, I, I joke that I just didn't leave. Um, but of course, <laughs> I, I, I had a chance to do a little bit of everything along the way. So my first jump out of QA was into production. And uh, I moved into a production role, which actually was managing QA. So it was like a really natural first step. And in production, your perspective, of course, changes to, okay, I'm not trying to break this thing anymore. I'm trying to figure out how to get all these pieces to come together. Um, and that's where I really realized that that's, that was sort of where my superpowers locked in with the job that needed to be done. Because I, I really like that. of like, ooh, how do I take all these weird little bits that don't make sense yet and put them together into something that is a feature, is an experience, is something players can, can play with. And actually, a lot of the skills I built in QA of trying to understand why something broke applied to how I now build it, right? Because it's the same sort of other side of the equation. And so in production, I was fortunate enough to get to work on lots of different features, get to know a lot of different parts of the team, um, how a lot of the different disciplines operate, what they worry about, what they think about. 
you get to be sort of this central hub of information and say, oh, okay, hey, Art, we need to solve this problem here so that the engineers can do this thing here. And then we have to write text for it. Then we have to make icons for it. So you get to kind of pull all these bits together. And I got a chance to learn so much about all the different components of game making. So honestly, I, I stayed in production and just took on progressively more and more complicated problems, right? So it started with things like, okay, on my first... Uh, making magic pack, I'll have a particular feature, right? Okay, I'm going to work on the skeleton maid, or I'm going to work on this particular spell potion cart. Moving into Sims 2, it was taking on bigger groups of features and bigger, bigger categories of things. Like, I think I worked on cars and one of our expansion packs, and then started working on larger chunks of like a whole expansion pack or a whole set of packs. Um, and so it was just an opportunity to learn to get to know the teams, the parts of the games, what was in or out for Sims is a lot of what you learn along the way. Uh, and certainly a lot of what I do today, like what feels Simsy or not is something I have a lot of conversations about. And so throughout that path of sort of progressively owning bigger parts of the game, I also started to just take on a bigger leadership role on the team and moved into being a senior producer over a lot of expansion pack work, uh, moved into being a senior production and executive producer in um, Sims 3 and Sims 4, and started to work more with our marketing partners and legal partners. So you just get a chance to kind of keep broadening the circle, right? I make it sound easy, but it, it was just, <laughs> just it was, it was, yeah, just do those things. I think that the philosophy I've always had is, is how do I just help people connect the dots and get these things put together? Whether that is a brand question or a legal question or a partner question, like how can I just help pull it together to make this experience come to life? And how do we make sure it stays true to what The Sims is about, what The Sims should feel like, um, what people are looking for? And over time, that grew into the role I have today, which is exactly that, sort of shepherding the, the idea of how The Sims shows up in the world and working with our design teams and brand teams to think about the types of experiences we build now, which is super exciting. <laughs> Definitely. And how do you define like what is simsy versus what is not simsy because like it does have a certain tone that is quite unique right yeah yeah so there's a couple of key things we come back to um the sims is pretty unfailingly optimistic so even when we deal with dark things like death or injury because that happens to the sims we try and do it in a way that has a little bit of humor or a little bit of optimism um so it's not a bad thing when death shows up because your sim could be a ghost or you could bargain with him and resurrect them or um you know there's a lot of different ways out um to make it feel more gamey we definitely have a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor so the sims is a little bit of parody a little bit of satire a little bit of puns a lot of puns <laughs> and so we bring that tone as well so even when we think about something like a doctor career and sims okay well if there's going to be a doctor they're going to have to get sick but the diseases are all kind of silly right they get big red polka dots or they get big stripes or something like that so so we're just bringing a little bit of that caricature of the world those are the ones we come back to the most like how do we keep that positive optimistic outlook while still dealing with pretty big beefy topics and how do we put wherever appropriate, a little bit of that whimsy or a little bit of good chaos and mischief into the mix and give players an opportunity to kind of push push the boundaries of their Sims into some silly territories. Yeah. And, and in terms of people pushing their Sims, I imagine, and I mean, everyone kind of has like their own story of or versions of like a similar story of like, oh, I put my Sims in a swimming pool and take out the ladder or I'd put them in a maze and then block up the exit kind of thing. You must have heard like more of those stories than, than most people. Have you got like any favorites or things that you used to do to, to talk to them? 
You know, I, so myself, I tend to play a household that only has one or two Sims. I actually don't like to manage a bunch of them. I find it a little crazy. And the way I like to tell stories is very focused. So if I jumped into a pre-made household that had too many of them, I would often lock them in a room and set off like a rocket ship or something to catch everything on fire. Um, I'll admit it. It's okay. Everybody does it. I think some of my favorites are the people who get very clever about the ways they can trap their Sims. So it's pretty clear you can build a room and they can't get out of it. But I remember, I don't, I don't think we even intended this, which is always why. It, it amuses me. Someone was able to build like a wall of stuffed animals that for some reason the Sims couldn't get out of, <laughs> which seems hilarious because I'm like, they're not that big. Why can't you escape? But of course, the Sim was trapped in this ring of stuffed animals. Um, and I just thought that was hilarious. And I had this great moment early on in Sims 4 that I had trapped a neighbor. I don't remember what I was trying to accomplish, but I trapped the neighbor. But the neighbor like called their partner to come save them. And so this other Sim shows up at the house and they're thinking about the neighbor that I have locked in the back. And I was like, don't tell, just don't tell them. Um, and I just thought that was hilarious that the, that the game was like trying to save them. And I was like, no, he's fine. Just leave him back there. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a good reason to have to eliminate some Sims. You know, you got to test things. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad like the sim was trying to get his friend to come and save him i know and like my sim answers the door and the other one's like thought balloon of this guy and i'm like no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> nothing to see here yeah don't worry about it come back later obviously the sims 4 has had kind of quite the journey in itself did you and the team know at the time this is going to be a game that runs and runs and runs for like well it would be a decade <laughs> at least or was it just like it just kept growing and people kept buying the packs. We're going to keep making more packs. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. There definitely was an understanding, even from the very beginning, that Sims games in general last a very, very long time. So even even today, even though we aren't making new content for it, people still actively play The Sims 3 and they go back to it either because of the nostalgia or it might be new to them still. There are still people who are playing it for the first time. And so there was definitely this recognition that Sims games last a long time and they don't really have a time stamp on them because the stories and experiences make sense whenever you play them. So there's a bit of that. And then there was definitely recognition as we kept making things for The Sims 4 that there was just so much more for us to do. And there was so much more opportunity to keep expanding the world and bringing players into it that hadn't joined us yet. So it was kind of a combo of like, how do we how do we keep leaning into this experience people are clearly enjoying? And how do we keep just adding cool stuff? I mean, we have infinitely more ideas than we can possibly ever add. So it's always fun to sit back and say, ooh, now what? what's a good thing to do now? Ooh, how could we make this better? Um, how could we keep changing this and growing this? And what do we see our players trying to do? And how can we give them new tools and new experiences to let them explore that? Yeah. I do want to say like, how far does or how much does what you see players doing, both like when you're looking at whatever like analytic stuff you've got, plus like sims tubers and stuff coming up with like weird and wacky challenges for each other how much does like looking at what players are doing in form like the next thing you're going to do it's not just like we've got this master plan it's actually kind of flexible to what you can see people are doing you know i definitely think it's a you look for sort of patterns and trends more than any specific one thing right which is oh people like to tell this kind of story what kind of experience could we give that would add a bunch of new sort of flavors to that story or people like to solve this sort of problem or achieve this sort of thing. Um, what could we give them? Uh, building is an obvious one. We see lots of people building amazing things. And you're like, oh, man, if we could give them this tool or this piece, then, wow, that could unlock this whole new category of building. So it, it, we do have like a long view of, of big ideas and things we want to go after. And then as we're watching what people are doing, you sort of start coloring it a little bit and adding a little bit of flavor based on that 
those trends that you see and that that feedback that you that you see out there. So it's a little bit of alchemy, like you do a little bit of both. You take our plans of, oh, we know we want to make, you know, for Sims 4, we knew we were going to do cats and dogs at some point. We knew we knew we were going to do seasons at some point. But you look at what's going on and say, ooh, what's what sort of twist on this or piece of this do we need to sort of shift to account for some of the stories that we're seeing happen out there? It's fun. It's a fun it's a fun process of of taking in all this feedback and trying to figure out how to make it make sense as the next experience for The Sims 4. Nice. And it's interesting because it's kind of two games in one, right? Because it's like the, the building side of it and then there's actually like the running the world side of it. And I guess you have to kind of constantly balance both types of players, right? Well, and, you know, people go back and forth between those modes of play all the time. There are definitely times where someone maybe doesn't know a story they want to tell or a goal they want to pursue. So it's like, oh, now's a good time to recreate my house or something like that. But then as you're in that process of building a house for a sim or a character, you might come up with an idea of something you want to tell as a story about them. And so they can go back and play a bunch of those systems. So it's pretty cool the game can flex that way. And, you know, players may have their primary mode of play. Like I tend to fall back to building all the time because I just, there's just so much in the catalog and there's so many things that I want to try and decorate with or recreate. But then I even myself will see a particularly new story or hear something someone did online and be like, oh, I want to try that. I want to see what I would do with that. It's neat that you can flex both ways. Yeah. And it's interesting you keep coming back to like the idea of what stories people want to tell. I've only very recently learned the term emergent storytelling. But it's like that exact thing of like game doesn't necessarily have like a A plot, B plot, three act mm-hmm. story or whatever, but you can tell your own experiences in it. And there's not too many games that let you do that with that kind of level of freedom. No, and I, it's one of the things that, again, has kept me with The Sims for so long because it's just so unique. And you absolutely can come in and try and play out some seed of an idea that the game gives you, right? Oh, hey, you're going to try this little challenge right now, or this character really wants to do this goal, right? We have things that give you that feedback. But you could also have seen someone streaming on the internet or sharing a screenshot and be like, oh, wow, I want to build a fairy castle, right? I want to build a magic space, um, whatever that may be. And I'm going to go try and see what I do with that. And then in that process, you'll have a character show up and decide to take your story a different way, or your sim might accidentally be electrocuted. And now you have to take your story a different way. Like there's all these things that might happen you didn't really account for. But I think that's the fun of it uh, is trying to say like, oh, now what am I going to do about that, that challenge, that problem, that opportunity? Yeah, like you say, as as a player, you feel like, oh, wow, something's just happened that must have been preordained. But maybe when you look under the hood, there is an element of like randomness to it. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of both. There are times where yeah. we're like, oh, if these things happen, then this should happen. And then there's definitely times where if these things happen, that's not what we thought would happen. But sure, <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> Um, well, and The Sims 4 has explored actually a lot of that spectrum, more so than in past Sims games, right? You could look at a game, um, you could look at one of our packs like Strangerville, which actually had a very specific story that you could pursue. There was like this mystery you could solve. And that was kind of neat because we've not done a lot of that before. And it was such a different way to play The Sims. And, and it was really, really cool to see people discovering the story moments all together. That was like a very different experience for us uh, to get to say, oh, look, they solved this and how'd they do that? Uh, and there was still a ton of freedom because it is still The Sims. But it was like, it, it was a good example of that spectrum of, hey, here's a like very specific problem that you could go after. Or you could just hang out in this kind of like weird freaky town. <laughs> I do love as well, like when those random things happen. So my wife has been playing the ranch expansion recently and she had a horse and she had a little sheep. And I was like, oh, how, how's your sheep doing? And she was like, it's just left and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, obviously I've been like, you know, quite emotionally invested in it. Yeah. <laughs> 
he must have had adventures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was time to go out into the world as all sheep must do. <laughs> In terms of the future of The Sims, obviously kind of each game kind of grows and changes and goes on its own journey, but you have now announced that you know, there, there will be another Sims. It has a cool code name. I can't Project Renee. Project Renee. Where, Project did the, Renee. Where, where did that come from, the name? <laughs> we chose it because Renee is reminiscent of words like rebirth and renewal. And we really wanted to take it, like we wanted to pick a name, like a code name to start that sort of reflected the fact that we're really keeping the heart of The Sims intact, but trying to think of new ways to bring it to players and to offer things you haven't seen before in The Sims. So that's that's kind of where it came from is like, ooh, how do we, how do we really rethink some of the core foundation of what it means to play the sims very cool and am i right in saying one of the things that has kind of been teased about it is that it will have more of a kind of social multiplayer kind of element to it or am i just saying things that have not <laughs> it's <laughs> hard to tell guessing. sometimes no. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no no we um we definitely want to introduce multiplayer and not multiplayer in the big scary jump in a world full of strangers kind of way but literally how do you and your friends want to do some some play together and there's a lot of different flavors that could take so we're exploring a lot of different spaces there because playing together can look like so many different things right even even our chat now we've talked about trivia games to fighting games to racing games like playing together and social can mean so many things and so we're we're having a lot of fun exploring all those different opportunities particularly within the context of the sims because it is still about these little characters their little lives and you helping guide them so what does that mean if you and i do that together and how do we figure out how to how to make a little bit of that chaos a little bit of that fun and a little bit of that positivity all come together in a way that feels simsy <laughs> that's really cool couple of things just kind of like sparked in my mind while you were saying that one was animal crossing is a good example right of how you can have have your own world and do all your own thing but also you can invite people in and, and have yep. different experiences together right and the other one very different thought was uh going back to what we were saying about you know people torturing their sims for whatever reason they've justified themselves for you could almost have like an asymmetrical kind of horror thing of like some person's trying to kill <laughs> off their sims and the other person's like trying to rescue them or something well you know I, I think that's that's exactly the kinds of conversations that we're having which is super cool and we talk about animal crossing all the time because it is such a good example of my little space my little island but i can invite you over and we've seen throughout the last few years of animal crossing people inventing ways to play together even that the game doesn't specifically support but they've made up scavenger hunts or whatever which is amazing or people who hosted talk shows on animal crossing i think is incredible right and then i think you're right that other end of what is the playful way we can play together we actually look at a lot of games that are doing multiplayer in clever ways like among us even which is this sort of mystery thing but you have to talk about it and solve it like oh what would something like that mean or i, I like i like your example of sort of like this horror game but what is the simsy version of that what is the reason that like i could be trying to do something I could be trying to get my sim ready for a specific thing and then you might be able to come in and mess it up somehow or help somehow, right? I think that's exactly the kind of feeling that will feel right for me playing with like my close friends. So yeah, we'll definitely have more to talk about it in like future announcements and shares and whatnot, but that's exactly the kind of stuff we're exploring. Like what of this would feel fun and simsy and how do we make it still feel like your characters and your space and your stories and you can still do those things, but you want to share it with a friend or let them come in and, and, and help somehow. Nice. It sounds really cool. And I imagine it will be, uh, like, like you say, a few uh, reveals and announcements and uh, events down the line before we can like get our hands on it. That sounds really exciting. 
in terms of like from like the tech standpoint, are there things now that like you know more powerful consoles, more powerful graphics cards and stuff are out there? Does that kind of open doors to to what you can do from like that side of things? You know, I think tech is always a really interesting facet of of The Sims because it's never been, and it doesn't need to ever be sort of cutting edge tech. Um, That's not the kind of experience it's going after, but it does unlock more power for us, particularly in the space of user um, content. So the stuff that players can create, right? The more powerful your computers and tech can be, the more powerful your creation tools could be because now the game can run them when you've made a million different edits and a million different changes. So how to continue to celebrate and highlight like player content is definitely a big topic for us. And technology is unlocking a lot of possibilities there in the kinds of tools we might share, the kinds of ways they might be shared with each other through something like the gallery. And what could we, like, how far can we push that, right? How much control can we give and how do we integrate it into our experiences? We've done some really fun experiments over the years, even with things like voice commands, right? How could you leverage that to search a catalog or make something cool? And of course, since everybody's doing it now, we've done little prototypes of things like how would I use AI generation to to imagine what an object could look like or something. And there's just a lot of experiments. We don't I have no idea how we're gonna apply them yet, honestly. <laughs> but <laughs> but like we just like anyone else in the real world, our team gets super excited about new tech and is always trying to find a new way to leverage it. So even if we don't know it today, it's always an opportunity. As an example, historically we do these sort of game jams every so often and it wasn't necessarily a new piece of tech, but it was certainly using the code in a way we didn't intend. One of our engineers built a like first person camera view in Sims 4 that now we use all the time because you're like, oh, that's just like a thing we never thought about. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't necessarily that it was like a new tech unlock so much as like, oh, let's think about this in a different way than we had before. So that's that's like an example of how we did it before, but that's the kind of stuff that'll happen. Someone will discover some cool application and then we'll be like, oh, this is actually really useful. <laughs> nice. And even like at the player's end of it, the loading times, like when you've got it installed so we play on console when you have it installed on the PS5 versus on your hard drive. It's like, whoa, it's like the tech is getting so much like better at, yeah. just, I don't know the right words for it, but, you know, pulling it all in so much quicker. Like. Yeah, that's always the fight, right? Especially with a game like The Sims that can just grow. There's just, I mean, again, there's kind of no limit to what you might want to add. So it's just a matter of how do we keep making it fast and optimized for play? And how do we make it not make your machine slowly smoke <laughs> because it gets too overloaded? And uh, in all your years with The Sims, are there any kind of like personal highlights or bits you've been particularly proud of? And seeing Baby Yoda behind you, I'm wondering if the Star Wars <laughs> Sims 4 pack was a particularly big one. Like. Yeah, um, you know, I am I am a big fan of that. And it was super exciting for the team to think about how to bring those two things together. And, you know, Star Wars made a lot of sense because of their approach to uh, Batu was all about telling your own story and living your own life, which is 100% what The Sims is doing, right? So I was very proud of that because I just think it was such a cool thing for us to do. And having been with The Sims a really long time, it was just exciting to try something new. It can feel like, oh, we've done cats and dogs, we've done snow, we've done parties, whatever. So to get to try something we've really never done before was just very exciting. I think other particular things, um, as you're asking other particular things that I'm proud of, I mean, it's it seems so stereotypical, but like we continue to try and always push ourselves to do more representation of 
global cultures to do more representation of the way people might want to tell stories and play. And honestly, I'm just, I'm so proud of us every time we do that. Anytime we add it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that happened. Like we did that. It's there. It's real. And people, people can now look at this and say, oh my gosh, this world reminds me of where I grew up or this feature finally lets me build the character the way I want to be built. And that's just such a good feeling to know that this thing that we're putting out into the world under the guise of, of a video game actually has so much more meaning for a lot of our players. So it's not like one specific thing, but that philosophy, I'm just very proud of having built up that muscle over so many years. And that it's something that the team all, all up and down the chain is just so committed to and trying to figure out how to keep making the Sims connect with with everybody. There's really something for anybody who comes into The Sims. And I just love that. Definitely. I think you, sh- you should definitely be proud of all that stuff for sure. Being able to have whichever pronouns you want. Like that was quite recent, right? I remember writing yep. the article about that. Like that, The Sims has probably been like one of the biggest games to, to go out there in that way and be that all encompassing and welcoming. I think that's been so good. Yeah. It's it's a, quite an honor, um, and I like I said I, I'm just genuinely proud of all the work the team has done to figure out these really challenging problems and make sure that we're being as respectful and representative as we possibly can in any of those spaces that we explore. And we bring in lots of experts and we talk to lots of people, and I think we've I think we've done a good job. There's always more work to do, <laughs> but I I love that it is such a part of our DNA um, to keep to keep pushing ourselves. Hello again. I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to tell you about the RadioTimes.com gaming newsletter. Stuffed with all the latest news, reviews and explainers, this free weekly email will really help you stay ahead of the game. It'll arrive in your inbox every Wednesday, highlighting all the releases you need to know about, along with my genuine recommendations. So if you're enjoying this podcast, head over to RadioTimes.com slash gaming newsletter to hear more from me every week. And now, back to the episode. And now I'm going to hit you with some quick-fire questions. Um, so, uh, console or PC? I'm PC. Solo or multiplayer? I actually solo. People scare me. I don't like being judged. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Gaming chair or couch slash sofa? Oh, I'm a couch sofa person, which is terrible for my back, but <laughs> so much more comfortable. <laughs> PlayStation or Xbox? Ooh, probably PlayStation, if I had to say. I do, yeah. I was like, I've done both, but probably PlayStation more now. Fair. And uh, this is more of like a, a back-in-the-day one, but uh, Nintendo or Sega? Oh, Nintendo. I was going to say my PlayStation Xbox answer should have been Switch, but... <laughs> 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 Nintendo all the way. I love my Nintendo. I love I love my Nintendo games. <laughs> well, no one's done this yet. The true PC gamer answer to that question would, would also be PC, just to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> It's true, especially we do have a Steam Deck now, and that's like just a little portable PC. So that's been invading my household. <laughs> and are you a headphones or out through the speakers type audio person? I have to say both, depending on the situation. At home, I'm totally a speakers person. In office now, because we're going back and forth, um, a lot of headphones, because I don't need everyone to listen to all my meetings. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> So hypothetically, you've got kind of a whole evening ahead of you. All you have to do is play games. No other life pressures. How magical. What game are you kind of rushing to play at the moment? Have you got something that's kind of half finished that you're, uh, is your kind Ooh, of go-to at the moment? That is a tough one. I, would, uh, I have been playing the new uh, Hello Kitty Adventure Island, which is totally just Hello Kitty Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but my kids are super into it, so they would sit with me and, and play that. It's on my phone, which is small, but um, that's what we've been playing lately. If I were gonna, if I if I get to play my game just by myself, um, I'd probably go play 
Dreamlight Valley. I'm still not quite caught up on all of the quests I have there. I'm sensing like some themes now. I was going to say, this is very clearly the themes of games Lindsay plays. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (sighs) on this hypothetical lovely evening of gaming, are there any kind of particular snacks or drinks that you like to kind of surround yourself with if you know you're going to be in for like a long session? Yes, I am a popcorn and M&Ms and Diet Coke gal. That would be my setup. Uh, I sometimes just throw the M&M straight in the popcorn. It makes them all nice and melty. It's great. That'd be my evening snack setup. Beautiful. All in one bowl, did you say? Yeah. Sometimes I'll keep, like at the theater, I'll separate them because I share the popcorn with my husband and he doesn't like accidentally getting an M&M. But if it's just me, I will totally throw my M&Ms in the popcorn. It's great. <laughs> nice. Love it. You do you. And this is kind of the closing question. If you could only play one more game for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, man, that is a tough one. I was like, I want to say, I, I want to say Sims and Animal Crossing, but I can't have both. <laughs> I would probably, I would probably keep my Sims because I can do so many different things. But I know it's again, it sounds stereotypical, and like, of course, you'll say the Sims, but I actually genuinely enjoy it. My um, when my family comes to visit and my mom's trying to like remodel something, we sit down and build for hours and like redecorate her house. So yeah, I I can play it so many different ways. I would keep the Sims. Nice. Fair. Well, if you wait for um, Project Renee to come out, then you've got The Sims and you've got that, you know, Animal Crossing multiplayer element as well. So. Yep, exactly. Perfect. So like, you're, all you're the making magic your perfect game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you've solved it. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. Eventually, all my schemes will come to life. <laughs> <laughs> I might just ask you that the title of the show being One More Life. If you had to live the life of a gaming character or in a certain game, what would you put yourself into? I would definitely live in Animal Crossing. I would totally do that. That sounds awesome. I could hang out with adorable animals and like trade fruit all day. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you've like paid off Tom Nook as well, you'll be. Yeah, I mean, he is a bit of a debtor. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, let's assume that I could figure that out. I feel like I I feel like I know the the, you know, the Easter eggs to sort through that life. But um, that would be a super chill life to just hang out on an island and fish and collect stuff. That sounds great. (laughs) Nice. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time. It was really nice to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, this yeah, was lovely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One More Life. For more from us, head over to radiotimes.com slash gaming. There you'll find all the latest news, reviews and guides that you need to know about. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back on this feed soon with some more gaming goodness. And until then, happy playing.